doing that, I would invite you to open to Proverbs 24, and um, as Tracy just read, we'll be talking about, we're moving into, we're talking about the, uh, the slugger today, we're, we're moving into um, the topical portion of our Proverbs series. For the past five weeks, we've walked through Proverbs 1, 2, and 3, um, and we could certainly continue doing that. And I would encourage you to keep following along, reading the Proverbs a day. We'll spend about five more weeks, I think, in the book of Proverbs as we focus on specific topics. And uh, we're going to cover today because I think today's kind of, kind of help sets um, maybe the uh, motivation and posture of our heart um, to really focus on all of the, uh, the other ones. So your passage might um, have said slacker or sluggard or slothful. Um, all of those great words, um, sometimes translated as uh, just lazy, um, but the word carries more punch than that. And so that's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to invite you to pray. If you just pray right where you are before I begin to preach, and um, I'm going to pray for us aloud. But would you ask the holy God of the universe that opened his mouth and created all things, who forms you and your mother's womb, who knows your thoughts before you think them, will you, will you ask him to speak very personally to you this morning. Father, you're good and awesome to think about you creating the earth and the galaxies and the planets and the things we can't even see. It's a bit mind-boggling. And the fact that you desire nearness with us um, even more so. Tell us in your word that if we seek you, we'll find you. And I pray that that's uh, the posture of our heart this morning, that we've come to find you. I thank you for the truth of your word that we're about to... Uh, read and it'll be the topic of a sermon today. I pray that this seed would fall on good soil, it would change people's hearts, or that we would see people cross over from death into life even this morning. Many others in this room would move from a position of apathy and lethargy to one of uh, zeal and passion. Lord, would you convict of sin where it's present in our lives through your kindness? Would you lead us to repentance? May all things point to Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. This has been um, one of those sermons to study that has been overwhelmingly uh, discouraging and encouraging at the same time. I don't know if you've ever, this is kind of the good kind of pain as we talk about this. Let me read the passage again, and then we'll just kind of get into it. Um, this, this, this phrase, sluggard, slothful, the lazy, it's at least 30 times in the book of Proverbs. A lot to say. The author of Proverbs uh, saves his best um, stuff for the sluggard. I mean, uh, just you'll see some of these pictures. Loves to kind of poke fun um, at that, and I think uh, there's some good reason for that. Verse 30, I pass by the field of the sluggard. By the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. Its stone was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. 
I looked and received the instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. This passage, maybe you picked up on it, it's a symbol or word picture of the unkept life. What a life that's unkept or not given attention to the proper things, what the unkept life looks like. The imagery of the thorns and nettles and broken walls points back, of course, to the curse of sin and mankind from, from the fall. And notice that this kind of life is not the result the slugger desired. No, he said he just wanted a little nap. I'm just going to take a little nap. His life ends up like this. A little sleep's not what leads to this kind of dysfunction. No, this is a picture of ongoing procrastination <clears throat> of what should, should matter most in life. When it comes to the important things of life, the sluggard is sluggish and slow and hesitant when he should be decisive and active and forthright. His life motto is, hey, just don't rush me. The Bible says in Proverbs 26, 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. He's constantly making the soft choice. And that just stings me just to read that. Constantly making the soft choice. He's losing one opportunity after another, after another, after another, day by day and moment by moment until he lies there helpless in his wasted life. When big opportunities come, he's not ready because he's ignored all the small responsibilities that have led up to this very point. And I think we should admit it quickly that there's a slugger deep inside of all of us. All of us in some sense or another, we want to push off the weighty and heavy and important things in life. And I think our culture, even today, is such a picture of this. We live in a culture of boredom where we have to be entertained and affirmed all the time. We're always looking, this new thing of Ben watching TV shows where we will give a TV show 8 to 10 to 12 hours of, in a day or in a weekend. We're giving ourselves, and there's nothing wrong with those things necessarily, but we're giving our life over to these light and, 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 and things that don't matter at all in the end. And these, these, have, these things have defined our lives for a large portion of it. This tendency to put off the important things that the wise father is speaking to the son about uh, through the first nine chapters. We can go and look in chapter six. He addresses the slugger and again, warning his son, hey, don't be that person. Don't, don't just give excuses for why you can't be about the most important things in life. He appears, reappears, the slugger throughout the book of Proverbs. And I want to start with just a quick overview uh, and these are just four things that we know about the slugger. The sluggard in um, Proverbs first, the sluggard or the slothful will not make up his mind. There is a direct question in, uh, in verse 9 of chapter 6, is how long will you lie there? When will you arise from your sleep? But that's too definite a question for the, for the sloth. He has no answer. He will not give an answer, but he deceives himself with this endless sequence of little compromises. Five more minutes. I'm just going to lay here maybe five more minutes. How long are you going to lay there? The father saying to the, the wise father saying to the son, listen, don't be like this person who always 
has an excuse of why he's not about the most important things. And I see this even in our culture when talking to men and women and even teenagers about the weighty things of life. When are we going to be about the most weighty things of life? And there's these excuses. Well, you know, after we get married, we're going to get serious and we're going to join a church and we're going to be in a group. And then it's after we have a baby. And then it's once the baby's potty trained. And then once I get my kids in school. And then when all my kids can get, you know, can they, when they can drive, and then when they get out of school, and these excuses go on and on about why they aren't about the important things in life. The sluggard will not make up his mind. The sluggard has refused faithful engagement in the most important things in life. Second, the sluggard will not finish things. On the rare occasions when he finds motivation to get going, it's too much for him, and the impulse dies quickly. Look at Proverbs 26, 15. This is one of the best pictures of the sluggard. I said the author saves his best stuff for the sluggard. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Like, he's like, oh, I think I want to eat. Oh, but this is way too much work for me. Another proverb says he goes out and kills his prey, but he's... He's too tired to cook it. He has some impulse, but he never finishes. He doesn't stick with the task all the way through to a strong finish. He's a shallow person. When things get tough, he just stops. There's no such thing as perseverance in his life. He can't even bring his hand back from the plate. And this is a ridiculous picture of a real spiritual problem. If you could see inside my heart would tell you the sorrow that's there for the hundreds of people, even through Covenant Church, that have made a good start and they've shown up once or twice or even for a few months until things got difficult and life gets messy and this discipleship thing is hard to eventually they just quit. Those who were once playing a critical role in extending God's kingdom are now just sitting on the sidelines complaining about those who are actually in the game. Slugger doesn't finish. He won't make up his mind. A third thing we can see very clearly in Scripture about the sluggard. The sluggard will not face things as they are. He won't actually own up to reality. Rather than embrace the challenge of life, he dreams up excuses. This is another great one. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets, Proverbs 22. A lion downtown? I, I don't think so. This, I doubt it. What's really out there is a life and a job and a mission to fulfill for Christ. A family to raise. There are things to be done. But instead, he looks for the easy way out. This hyper-reality, it doesn't even exist. There's a lion outside. Again, this is not necessarily just a lazy person, but this is a person who rejects his purpose. Some of the most slothful people sometimes are the hardest working people, but they're working with the wrong motivation and toward the wrong end. They sacrifice the greater things in life so that they can work more and more to gain more money and get better toys, but lose the most important things in their life. Sluggard won't face reality. Here's the fourth thing. The sluggard simply refuses to take a step of faith. 
just outright refusal to take a step of faith. He might talk a lot about faith. He might talk a lot about changing his life. He might talk about a lot of the reasons why his life is this way. But rarely there's any activation for a step of real faith. Proverbs 21 says this in verse 25, the desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Most time, the sluggard through the Proverbs is compared to the diligent. The sluggard acts this way and is going to receive this. As a consequence, the righteous or the diligent act this way and they'll receive this. Here he's compared to the righteous. It says in verse 26, all day long he craves and craves and craves, but the righteous, no, the righteous isn't craving. He's giving and not holding back. Anyone in this room who's given generously, you know that it takes a huge step of faith to give generously. Not just out of your overflow, but sacrificial giving, not just of money, but of your life and your time um, and opening up your home and, your, and, and, and on and on. To give generously requires a huge step of faith. And that is really what our purpose in life is. To give ourselves in self-donating love, first to God and then to others. That is the way that we were actually made. And for the sluggard, he, he rejects the purpose of his life and instead does nothing but crave and crave for something more, but he is unwilling to do anything to get it. And this is the step of faith. Have you ever noticed this in Scripture? That God's got all these blessings for us. And he is going to give these things to us, and he's doing all the work, and he's asking us just to trust him and to take a step of faith. I was reading this week about uh, the Old Testament, how the Israelites walked around uh, the walls of Jericho. One of the craziest, silliest stories between that and Gideon that I, that I think I've ever... So the wise, the, you know, the wise plan is to go really march around these walls. And I want you to walk, march around. There's some details here. I want you to march around the walls once, once a day for... Six days, on the seventh day, once you go around seven times, and at the end of that, the seventh time, they're all just going to crumble. And that's just the silliest, most crazy strategy that you've ever heard of. I mean, think about it in modern day. You know, we're going to go to Afghanistan, and we're just going to walk around the mountains. That's all we're going to do. We're just going to go walking around the mountains, all our troops. Now, leave your guns at home. We don't need those. Leave the tanks. We're going to go walk around the mountains. It sounds ridiculous, but God's saying, listen, this is something I'm doing, and I want you to trust me. They would have never seen the walls crumble unless they took a step of faith. On and on, we could go through story after story in the Old Testament that God says, listen, I want to do something big, and I'm the one that's going to do it, just so you don't get any kind of arrogance that think that you're the one that's going to accomplish this. But I want, what I want from you is to trust me and to take a step of faith. And that is so hard for us. Because we live in a world where we check our online bank account several times a day just to make sure there's, there's, there's plenty of money in there. We find so much security and, 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 and savings accounts. And I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. I'm saying they have set us up where we, we have a really hard time trusting God. When I was a teenager, my dad gave me a biography of George Mueller. And to, to read this biography this orphanage that he started, and they would not have food. And literally, they wouldn't have food to feed the orphans, and they would just start praying. 
around the table and again and again. I mean, there, it must have, it, dozens of times that he'll recall this thing and someone knocked at the door. Somebody, they didn't even know, just, you know, a milk truck broke down outside of the orphanage. Hey, we got all this milk and food. Would you like it? The grin comes up on his face saying, yeah, we've been praying for that very thing. And that's what it means to walk with God. It means this step of faith day after day after day. And if you've never put yourself in a place to where you are dependent on God to move, then you are in the most, the shallowest of seas when it comes to really trusting God, of seeing what he can do. You're still depending on yourself and your own strength, and it's, it's really a false strength anyway. The sluggard here, he, he didn't, not much giving from him. It says the righteous, they give and they don't hold back, but not the sluggard. He's just craving either. He has very little to give because he didn't steward his resources well <clears throat> in the first place, or he refuses to give because he's happy just to take. He doesn't want to contribute. He just wants to consume. And if this isn't a picture of our culture that we live in right now, even the church culture, Weston preached a couple weeks ago that any church we join, we come with all of our list of this is what I want to see. And a matter of fact, when God doesn't show up or the church doesn't prove itself worthy of those things, then people quickly walk away. The sin of the sluggard isn't necessarily laziness. Although it may present itself that way sometimes, it's a refusal or rejection of purpose. Slothfulness is the rejection of God's design for my life. And their sin is one of selfish passivity instead of faithful engagement. Selfish passivity instead of faithful engagement. Not necessarily a couch potato, but ignoring the most weighty things in life. And we don't have time to go through the full kind of Biblical narrative of this, but let's go back to Genesis 1 just for a few minutes. We see God creating things and giving out this biblical mandate to those that he created. It says in verse 27, so God of Genesis 1, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So at the very beginning, God makes man in his image, which tells us today that we carry around the likeness of God even in us this morning. And God's hope is that we would reflect his image, that we would mirror his glory and fill the earth with little statues of his image. We see here the first biblical mandate that we would be fruitful and multiply. Not that just we would fill the earth with people, but that it would be a fruitful humanity, that humans would flourish, that they would work and cultivate the great gifts that God had given them. Now, you see this too, that the gift of work was given to man before sin ever entered the picture. Like It was a, to be a good thing, a fruitful thing, a rewarding thing, and we do that in the likeness of God, our Creator. Now, when sin entered the picture, it made work more difficult, certainly, and we get it out of balance all the time. But work was supposed to be a good thing. 
that they would work and cultivate these great gifts that God had given them. Here's a quick definition, definition of cultivate. To promote the growth of something by labor, attention, and investment. You're cultivating the lives of your kids at home, hopefully, by labor, requires some attention and investments. To cultivate something is to work and give attention to something so that it's better or more full based on your investment in it. I was a uh, high school teacher for a very short span in my life. And it was interesting as a teacher to see the, all the different kinds of teachers. You have teachers there who are this, just there to get a paycheck. Teachers who are there because we're off during the summer. Um, teachers there maybe because it was just uh, their parents were teachers and it was the most natural route. But there, there are this group of teachers that are there because they love the kids. And they, they would spend their own money. They would, I, I mean, not just like, like, I bought them some pencils, like thousands of dollars of their own money into these kids ultimately to cultivate them. So that when they left their class in nine months, that, that these kids would, would, uh, would be better or more full because of the investment of the teacher. This is what it means to cultivate. And there are three quick things, and we've talked about this before, it's a couple years ago, but three quick things that we see in this first early biblical passage in Genesis 1 that they were to cultivate first they were to cultivate their relationship with God it says they walked with God in the cool of the day that they were created to enjoy fellowship with God we also see that was one of the first things that broke because of sin that their relationship with God became fractured which again points to Jesus who is coming they were to cultivate community just a few days into the journey and God creates Eve, giving Adam this completely new dimension of human joy and companionship and friendship. He was to provide for her and protect her and care for her. Just this picture of cultivating community, cultivating relationships around us. And then they were to cultivate the mission of God. They were given a purpose together to cultivate the land and fill it with all of God's creation. It shows us that they enjoyed it and they had fun working together. They enjoyed life as it was intended to be. But that's not what we experience today. That only lasted a while. You know the story. Adam and Eve soon disobeyed God. And again, we see this picture of slothfulness even in Adam as he was guilty of having a passive presence instead of a faithful engagement. The problem with the slothful or the sluggard is that he has rejected the purpose to cultivate. He didn't want any boundaries or any direction given to him by God. He doesn't want to cultivate relationships with God, relationships around him, or certainly not the mission of God. He has, he has put off the slothful has. He is offended by the call in his life to glorify God through hard work and faithful engagement. I want us to be clear on this. Slothfulness is just not a bad habit according to Proverbs. It's a sin against the God who created us to work for his glory and to cultivate the resources, be good stewards of what he has surrounded us with. God has given this to us as a gift and he's asked us to, asking us to trust him in this. It's not just a bad habit. 
was reading in my study this week. The commentaries talks about the fact that there's no such thing as a workaholic in Proverbs. Typically in Proverbs, we see this, you know, we see the person who would bring up, we would see both ends of the spectrum. This is the guy who's really lazy and doesn't work at all. This is the guy who works too much, and the scripture would call us to balance, and that's, that's typically what scripture does. But there's, there's no mention of a workaholic in Proverbs. And when we say workaholic, what we generally mean is someone who uh, works so much at his job that he n- neglects his family or his church or his marriage or his spiritual life. He's... He's just working all the time. Someone who loves his wife too much or kids too much, we don't call them a workaholic. We just say this is a person that loves their family. But for the so-called workaholic, and why Proverbs never uses that term or picture, is because there's really no such thing as a person who works too much. The workaholic in our mind, his problem is not that he works too much. His problem is that he's lazy at home. The problem is not that he's such a good worker. The problem is that he spends all his time working in one area, all the while neglecting the greater responsibilities in his life. It would just be easier for me to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week than to go home and love my wife well and to lead my kids and to invite my neighbors over. It would just be easier to go to work. So it's not that he works too much. He's just lazy in the most important areas of his life. If you work 50 or 60 hours a week as a vocation and you make lots of money and you climb all sorts of vocational ladders but you fail to cherish and nourish your wife, then you're failing at life. If you pick up a second job or work overtime to make more money but you fail to lead your kids spiritually, according to Proverbs, you are the sloth that he is speaking of. If you're a master technician and you do this work extremely well and get paid lots of money for it, but you don't have time to be in a discipleship relationship, then you are failing to address the most biblical mandate of your life. And to put on top of those things, we live in a very distracted culture. I read a study this week that says adults check their social media account 17 times a day. You say, well, what about the kids? You know, and this is what's really surprised me in this study, that the largest user of social media is not teenagers. It's adults between the ages of 22 and 45. 17 times a day. Now, teens, you don't get off the hook. In that same study, it said that teens spend almost seven hours a day consuming media. And I would argue that all of that is a result because people don't know their purpose. They're bored. Parents, what if every time you had the prompting at a stoplight or Just a moment of silence instead of pulling out your smartphone to check some account. What if you prayed for your kids? What if if every time that you wanted to spend the weekend binge watching Netflix and watching 8 to 10 to 12 hours over a weekend of some show, what if instead of doing that that you invested in your neighbors? What, what, What happened? 
What if instead of getting out your phone all the time and being immediately accessible, every time you had the urge to do that, you decide, you know, I'm going to memorize some scripture. I'm going to seek the face of God. What kind of people would we be if we, if we sought the most important things in life? And again, don't, I'm speaking to myself because I, I love these other things. But it's such a scary picture that we started with. The, the, the slugger didn't say, hey, I want to spend my life on all these worthless things. No, he said, you know what? I'm just going to take a little nap. I'm just going to fold my hands just for a minute. I'm just going to take a break just for a minute. And then the picture we see is his, his unkept life is just so dysfunctional. So how do we break free, church, from slothfulness? I heard a friend of mine wrote on such topic, and he answers that question with this phrase, stay under the yoke. How do we break free from slothfulness? We stay under the yoke. Now, a yoke, you probably know, is an agricultural term for a device that's put on an animal to help guide and direct them to plow the fields, to pull a wagon or a carriage. The yoke was the device that helped guide them and direct them. It's a picture, even in Scripture, of responsibility, of a task before us, of a burden that needs to be accomplished. It's an expectation that we sit under. And the call to us believers today is to stay under the yoke. That we would renounce the false freedom that we think, how dare you, God, impose something upon me, that we would renounce that attitude and we would embrace the call to pour out ourselves and our lives for the sake of others. We would embrace the call to give ourselves to God in love to submit to the yoke of discipleship, becoming like Jesus. Paul says, I beat my body to make it a slave to the things that are of most importance. That we would embrace the call to love our spouse well, no matter how difficult, forever. We would embrace the responsibility to love our kids well, to literally be a picture, an amplifier of wisdom in the home. This week... My Ellie Joyce came up to me. I was sitting in the recliner. Happened to be Sunday, and I was watching football. And um, you never know what's coming out of her mouth. It literally could be something brilliant. It's going to be, you know, my next book I'm going to write. Or something completely different. This was a completely different. She says, Dad, you're just like a cat. (laughs) Not knowing where this is going. All you do is sleep and eat. Maybe more sluggard in me than I want to admit. Put down the Cheetos. (laughs) Don't be like a cat. I think that's the point. We've got the call to us in Scripture is to embrace the responsibility to do really good work with integrity and with excellence, no cutting corners, to cultivate relationships around us, to love our family well, and participate in the mission of God no matter what it costs. R.J. Snell, a 
theologian, says this about this monotony in fulfilling your responsibility. He says we do this in concrete ways. Keeping the prayers, finishing the report, paying our bills, wiping away childish tears, washing the car, caring for our tools, doing the dishes, staying in mundane, ordinary work, while perhaps unromantic, allows for for virtue since natural virtue requires repetition. There is no virtue without repetition, and so we stay put. We sink our roots deep. We find the rich soil of virtue. Parents can confirm this. Exhausting, yes. But a new character forms with every nap, meal, diaper, wet bed, and smile. He closes it this way. We become the people we are by what we choose to do again. We become the people we are by what we choose to do again. Not once. You don't talk to these great athletes and they became a great athlete because they showed up early to practice once. You don't become a renowned musician or cellist because, because you, you practice for a couple weeks. You, you, don't, you don't become a great parent because you had one good year. You don't become a great disciple maker because you attended huddle for a few months. It's what we choose to do again and again and again and again. This makes us a very certain kind of people. That we stay under the yoke of responsibility and the calling on our life that God has placed when it would have been so much easier to run or to sleep. When it comes to marriage, friends, stay under the yoke. When it gets hard, it's not always romantic if you haven't figured it out yet. It is romantic sometimes, but it's not always romantic. My heart is encouraged, so encouraged. People like Thomas and Donna Ballard are in here that have been married for decades and we we should pray for you miss donna it'd be tough to be married to thomas that long we understand that we've been we've been around him there's a certain certain ethos that comes around and you should go talk to them we've been talking about putting yourself around wise people you should go buy thomas breakfast or donna breakfast or go sit with them and just hear of the decades of walking with god of loving each other and they're not perfect you'll see that really quickly with thomas There's a lot of things we could learn there. When it comes to your children, invest in them. Pour out your life for them. We've used the phrase around here for our men of being men of the second shift that when we come home, we aren't checking out. No, that's when we're really clocking in. Men, give yourself to your kids in a sacrificial way, in a self-donating love and investment in their spiritual, physical, and emotional lives. And you think, man, that is so repetitious and monotonous. I was reading this week an article that G.K. Chesterton wrote. He said, you know, it's, it's possible that the sun doesn't rise every day because of necessity. 
but because every morning God looks at the sun and says, do it again, do it again, do it again. And maybe not of necessity that every daisy grows, but that God never loses joy in creating another one and saying, do it again, do it again. I was at a college retreat for college students and I was helping out with the college at our church. I went to this retreat and I think it was Francis Chan. I think it was him. He got up and he asked these college students, I've shared this with you before. He says, how, how many of you would, would be willing just to, just with the clothes you have on, just meet me here in the front. I've got a jet outside here. We're going to go get on this jet and we're going to fly to to, to India, and, and we're, gonna, we're just going to go and serve for the, for the rest of your, of your winter break. And hands went up everywhere. He said, I'm not asking you to do that. That's far too romantic. I want you to go home and serve your parents well. I want you to go and love your roommate. I want you to go and share your faith. I want you to get up every day and walk with God. That's the heart of call, isn't it? Not the sexy and romantic thing. No, the monotonous and repetitious thing of waking up every morning and sitting with your Bible open in your lap and saying, God, I'm here again. Speak to me. And a lot of time it's not euphoric and the heavens don't open up with, with the ladder coming down and you're like, man, this is all. Now, sometimes that happens, but it's very rare. At least it is in my life. But you know what? I find this little nugget of truth in Proverbs and I pray through it and say, God, would you conform me into this? I remember waking up, I've told you this as a little kid, seeing my mom and dad with their Bibles open almost every morning, certainly my dad sitting in his chair with his Bible open, reading God's word. And I knew in that moment, this was not a game to him. This was not a religion. This is not a Sunday morning thing. This is not a putting on the right face. But he knew that in this were the words of life, and he was going to give himself to it. And he passed that on to us, this love for the word, to know that in it is really life. And we can give ourselves to the less weighty things. Yes, we can. But I promise you, as Proverbs says, you're going to look back one day and you're going to regret a life wasted. We become the people we are by what we choose to do again. When it comes to your walk with God, give yourself to a life of discipleship, becoming like Jesus from one degree of glory to the next, Paul would say. Stay under the yoke, men. Stay under the yoke, ladies. Stay under the yoke, teenagers. Be zealous about this and passionate in pursuing God. Don't blame the lion in the streets like the sluggard. There will always be obstacles to overcome. Whatever is keeping you from serious discipleship, friends, fix it. If you got too much commitment in life, you got to back out of some of those. If you got to wake up earlier, you know, for most of us, the step we need to take is just to show up. There is something so powerful to waking up every morning and opening God's word and asking him to speak to you. Slowly but surely, we're being conformed into the image of God. We become the people we are by what we choose to do 
again. Let me close with this. That Jesus was our perfect substitute and example of this. He was not slothful concerning his mission. He was not lazy in following through. No, he was diligent. Scripture says that he set his heart towards Jerusalem. He went there to die for us. He stayed under the yoke. He gave himself in this picture of self-donating, self-sacrificing love. I think the best picture of this may be in Philippians 2. Again, you've heard this a hundred times. Hopefully you'll hear it a thousand more. And I don't have this on the screen because I want you to listen to it again. This is Paul pointing to us the selflessness of Jesus. In verse 5, have this mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Here he is again. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, I implore you to do it again. To wake up tomorrow and do it again. To gather your kids around the couch tonight and do it again. And when it gets difficult to love your spouse well, just keep doing it. Do it again. And when you're exhausted by raising kids, that's okay. Keep pouring your life into them. And when you have every legitimate excuse in the book, don't go crying there's a lion outside. Just do it again. I promise God is going to be making something in you. We're going to take communion in a minute and we're going to remember this picture of Jesus. When the night before he died, gathered with his disciples, knowing the difficulty that they would face, knowing that they would need this visible reminder in front of them. Told them to take this when they gathered together, proclaiming his death until he comes again and he is coming. And at that point, one day, when we get to heaven, I feel like we're going to look back and we're going to see all that God was doing in and through us. All the while, it's hard to see here. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. Lord, that even though I can readily identify with the slothful attitude within my own heart who wants to put off all the heavy responsibilities of walking with you and dealing with my sin and loving my neighbor and extending your kingdom. I really want to put off all of those and just watch arrested development. I just, I want to, I want to ignore the weighty things. But that is not the call you've placed on my life. 
And more than that, you've given me your Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a reminder, as the comforter, as, as your resurrection power living in me to change what I actually want and desire, but also given me the ability to walk in this, that you've not asked me to do anything that you, you through your Spirit, are not going to empower me to do. I pray for those in this room who are weary because they have recently taken steps of faith. They've given a large amount of money to something and, uh, and, and they're a little bit weary and, and restless because that's just not in their account anymore. And I pray, Father, you would calm them, bring peace to them. For those people who've fostered kids and adopted kids and, and they're walking through just, uh, they're just, they're tired and they're emotionally drained and they're worn out and they're, they're doubting these kind of decisions. Father, would your grace and peace abound more and more for those of us in this room who are so fearful and hesitant just to take a step of faith and to trust you. Father, give us a little nudge this morning to Push us off the edge so that we can be reminded that you're faithful. You have always been and you always will be faithful. As we take in communion this morning, Lord, may our hearts be filled with gratitude because you considered a sinner such as myself worth the trip. not considering equality with God something to be grasped, but you humbled yourself and went to the cross for me. For everyone in this room, those that are here that aren't believers in you, they've never stepped across this line of faith, they've never placed their faith and trust, I pray that they would have the faith to take a step this morning. Father, help them understand that you're the one that's working in their hearts. And Father, I pray for Covenant Church that we wouldn't be a church that's just chasing things that ultimately don't matter. No matter how big we get or small we get or if we ever grow. Father, could we, could it be said about us that we gave our lives to the weighty things? Cultivating our walk with you, relationships with those around us and to the mission you've called us to. It's in your name. Amen. You're um, ready. You don't have to be a member here to uh, partake in communion, but Scripture says you do have to be part of God's family. You've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you desire to live a life obedient to him. And if that describes you, I'm going to invite you to come and take communion when you're ready. You've got plenty of time. We're going to do the whole worship set here at the end, so um, just come when you're ready, and then... Uh, We'll sing together about this great God that we serve. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray um, about anything.